This is the Dreadful Podcast from TV Podcast Industries, and we're talking about Lovecraft Country Season 1, Episode 8, Jigabobo. I want you to feel what I feel right now. Heartbroken. Scared. Furious. Tired. Of feeling this way over and over. And I want you to feel alone. And shameful. Because I'm here. Feeling this. And you will never understand it. I want you... To feel guilty for feeling safe next to you and your privilege. Welcome back, fellow Dreadfuls, to episode 8 of Lovecraft Country, Jig Abobo. I am one of your hosts, John. I'm your other host, Derek. Welcome back. Yes. Surprise, police officers. Don't mess with Kitty. <laughs> Absolutely. We are going to be going spoiler, spoiler, spoiler filled into uh, the 8th episode of Lovecraft Country Season 1. Um, yeah, fun episode. Uh, this time, lots of uh, interesting stuff uh, going on for all the characters. Uh, first episode in a while that's that's been focused on everybody rather than it just being one character story this time, I think. Yeah, and it felt as though a lot of different threads back in Chicago were coming together. Mm-hmm. We don't see Hippolyta in this episode. Um, kind of still assuming she's stuck um, or she's decided to remain or she is stuck, yes, mm-hmm. uh, behind the rift of time and space. But certainly it feels like a lot of the different elements uh, that have been happening in Chicago are coming together here mm-hmm. uh, with Ruby, Christina, Letty, Atticus, Montrose, all the spells and and magic of... Uh, the Sons of Adam and the Ancient Order, uh, as well as then getting a, a, a bit more of a defocused episode here uh, on the basis yeah. of that relatively chilling uh, final shot of the last episode where her comic book is uh, next to the dead police officer mm-hmm. uh, with the, the blood pooling around it. Um, so, yes, uh, really interesting episode it took a while for me i have to say to kind of sort of get accustomed to it just because it felt as you say much more ensemble rather than focusing specifically like we have in the last few episodes on for example hippolyta Mm -hmm. and and jaya in the episode before and ruby the episode before before that so there was a a lot going on, a lot of toing and froing uh, between the different characters. Well, that is definitely something we've learned from Lovecraft Country. You have no idea what's coming when you turn on your episode of the show, really. Uh, no idea what's going to be presented to you straight away, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Before we go into it, just <laughs> a reminder, this is the Dreadful Podcast on TV Podcast Industries. You can head on over to our website at tvpodcastindustries.com. Please rate us, subscribe to us, uh, leave a review on any good or evil podcast catcher mm-hmm. of your choice. Sharing the podcast uh, with your friends, family, um, and dare I say it, your, your supernatural ghosts <laughs> that may haunt you uh, is, of course, sharing the love. Yeah, if, we don't mind who they are as long as they can subscribe <laughs> to the podcast. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and of course, if you want to, uh, you can also support us through Patreon mm-hmm. at patreon.com forward slash TV Podcast Industries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, thanks so much. Uh, we did get two reviews in this week over on Apple Podcasts. Uh, first up, Wendy143 in the US gave us a five-star review, said, just started listening to you guys with the Lovecraft Country episodes. Really appreciate your research and the eye for detail. We looked at the speech that you mentioned last week, and it came from Sun Ra in a movie called Space is the Place. Uh, yes, thanks so much for the for the review, Wendy, first off. Uh, really nice of you giving us a five-star review. Um the, I did see the scene. There was quite a few people. I think we mentioned on the episode last week that when we don't know something and we say it on the podcast before the episode comes out, the minute it airs, 
suddenly everybody knows <laughs> and we couldn't find it at all when we were searching on Google but you're absolutely right I've seen the speech now uh, for a very interesting looking film from the 70s uh, but the, the clips up on YouTube uh, to have a watch of but uh, but yeah I, I was absolutely right everybody else seemed to be able to find it and we couldn't <laughs> so, yeah it was it was strange um, for sure but uh, it was great uh, that we got all the feedback uh, mm-hmm. through from uh, from the last episode that we did on the podcast because, yeah, we were scratching our heads trying to find out where it came from. And uh, as Derek mentioned, we our, our lovely listeners uh, provided uh, lots of um, feedback to us yeah. on that. So thanks so, so much. And thank you, Wendy, as well, for your review. Really, uh, really nice. We... We also got a second five-star review from LD, uh, who's in Los Angeles. They say, gentlemen, love the podcast. It's very interesting, fun, and informative. Listening to you guys helps me understand each episode better and also helps to catch some things that I may have missed. Keep up the good work. Thanks, LD from LA. Uh, Thanks so much, LD, for that. Uh, And really appreciate... um, your, your review uh we hope in some way that we can help people uh, navigate these episodes better or get a bit of snippets of information and indeed i think uh the lovely community circle that we have feeds back to us as well like when we um ask for help on certain things mm-hmm. um and even if we don't we get some really nice bits of information in our feedback f- from the listeners so uh thanks so so much absolutely thanks so much ld uh, this as we said before this podcast was done kind of on a whim when we watched the first episode and went this is amazing we must talk about it uh, part of the reason we're, we're podcasting I and mean, really enjoying the show overall but we're learning so much uh, American history stuff that we wouldn't have known before and when we go into doing our podcast we like to look up all the information that's been thrown at us in these episodes things that we may never have heard of before so uh, it's been a really fascinating show I'm glad we're helping you to understand it more while helping ourselves to understand the episode that we're really <laughs> most definitely uh, but with that let us get ourselves on to discussing Jigger Bobo which is episode eight of season one of Lovecraft Country mm-hmm Yes, let's have a chat about this episode. Uh, first off, just to comment on the title, um, I know it's based on a racist term, um, but obviously the reference there is to Emma Till, uh, whose middle name is Bobo, or was called Bobo by his friends. This is the, uh, the kid that's, uh, that's on display in, uh, in Chicago after being murdered. We met him earlier on in the season, um, called out that it was a real life, uh, tragedy that happened in, uh, in, America back in the 50s and it's been connected and wrapped into the show here but that's the reference that's in this episode uh, from the title um episode was directed by showrunner Misha Green also teleplay written by Misha Green and Iahoma Afordir really interesting uh, episode as we said there's so much going on with all of the characters being involved so uh, really cool to have uh, have Misha Green once again uh, keeping her stamp on every episode with uh, with the rest of the writers room so uh, really really interesting first time I've seen anything from Iahoma um, I, I don't actually recognize any of the credits uh, for her previous work but uh but really would good work in this episode yeah absolutely yes yeah, same here um i don't really know much uh, about her either um i know in just looking up she did a tv show life love and hollywood but mm-hmm. after that and um, this is our first exposure to mm-hmm. ihoma um so uh yeah really good to see um this this great kind of um ensemble script coming together uh, between her and Misha Green as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for the episode? Sure. Following the murder of Emmett Bobo Till, tensions run high in Southside Chicago. Dee goes missing as she slips away from Emmett's funeral. As Ascus, Montrose, Letty and Ruby search for her, she is found by Captain Lancaster who asks her about the orrery, Hippolyta, and then curses her. As she tries to find Atticus, Dee is stalked by two creepy girls intent on killing her. Elsewhere, Atticus is reminded of his death and future, with both the arrival of Jaya at Letty's house and as he opens up to his father about the rift in time and space. Tink knows Letty is pregnant with his son and both he and Montrose attempt a protection spell to ensure his survival for his son. However, as the police led by Captain Lancaster turn up at Letty's house to get the orrery, only then does Atticus understand that the spell worked, as he unknowingly unleashes a shoggoth surprise on Lancaster and his men. Meanwhile, Dee's curses catches up with her. 
Nice little shout out in the synopsis there to uh, our friends over at the Double P Podcast Network and their show, Shock at Surprise, also covering uh, Lovecraft Country. Nice one, John. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, yeah, really interesting stuff. I love that we got so many answers in this episode. You know, they just simply one of the big ones that, that popped out to me was getting an answer so quickly about the book that Atticus brought back uh, from what we now know is the future, uh, his his travel uh, through the dimensions of time and space. Um, what That he's actually brought back a book written by his son, um, who he's going to name George Freeman after his after his uncle, who died at the beginning of the series. So uh, really interesting to wrap it all up there. I thought it was an alternate dimension where George may have lived a longer life and had a better life potentially. But lovely references in here. As I said before, uh, the previous episodes, I have read about half of the book. I stopped because it was uh, so close to the TV show here, but I love the reference to all the things that are changed for the TV show. That's the conversation that uh, Tick is having with Montrose saying to him, uh, the book is different because it's a different reality. Uh, he tells him all the things that, that have been changed for the TV show, which I think is a, a great insider reference. That's a, a nice little knowing nod, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> really good fun. John, where do you want to start with our discussion about this episode? It is... Uh, D's Curse mm. uh, by Captain Lancaster. And, you know, first off, I really want to give a shout out to Jada Harris, who plays Diana Freeman mm-hmm. uh, in this. I, I thought she played this um, this episode so, so well. And again, another episode where another character gets a, a you know, a, a major billing here. And mm-hmm. I think it, in this episode, D uh, has that uh to some degree even though it is a bit more of an ensemble piece yep. because uh, we really focus on her. i just thought her uh, effectively her her guile her tenacity mm-hmm. her bravery was really just so well portrayed here by jada harris yep. um and given the curse that had been put on her um you know from captain lancaster i just thought she played it so so well yeah. um and I, I that scene itself that was just tough to watch but she just portrayed it so well and there's so much strength once again another female character in this show where they give so much strength to that at that moment where she confronts captain lancaster um and effectively is right in his face telling him i will not bow to what it is you want me to do no matter what's going on it was just so good to watch it's a great performance there. It really, really was. Yeah. Um, and mainly because she was given an, an out from the curse here. Uh-huh. Uh, I love that she gets the, the jibe in at his deputy saying the name's Hippolyta and yeah. it's Greek. Mm-hmm. Um, because the, the deputy was thinking it was some weird African name. Yeah. Uh, so clearly doesn't understand, um, the ancient, uh, literature of, of the Greeks. Um, she, you know, she's, or anything else, or anything else yeah. exactly. Culturally closed off, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, she's given the way out by, um, by Captain Lancaster that, uh, he will stop the curse, um, if, uh, she helps him get inside Letty's house in order to, I presume, get the orrery back mm-hmm. that he's been looking for uh, all this time. Uh, and she throws that back in his face uh, as well. And I love her passing shout, which is, and this place stinks in here. So you can only imagine that whatever is still being held in the 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 closet there mm-hmm. chained up is really beginning to fester and rot exactly. and, and stink yep. so uh i'm now really curious as to what is happening in that closet to the frankenstein man that's chained up for mm-hmm. sure um i probably don't want to look uh behind the door but nonetheless my curiosity uh it will get the better of me and i really hope it gets the better of the show and they <laughs> they show um probably some kind of uh, decaying, uh, corpse behind there, certainly mm. if it is putting out that whiff. But I think, um, yeah, let's, let's roll back a bit. That, that first moment, you know, we see, um, D being kind of out of sorts, not wanting to go and see, uh, Emmett yeah. and him, uh, lying in, in the church. Uh, you know, we, we get reference from, um, Ruby and Letty about the bravery of his family, allowing, uh, everyone to see what, uh, the, the murderers did yeah. to him, uh, to, to really show, um, the brutality, the, brutality, yeah. the callousness that happened. Yeah. Uh, but you can see that D really is kind of, you know, distraught, sort of, 
and upset mm-hmm. uh, to the point where she doesn't want to do that, and she slips away. There's an interesting um, discussion, really, isn't there, between uh, Montrose and Tick about that, where he's kind of saying to her, well, she's going to have to go through it at some time, so she might as well go through it now, because no matter what happens, at some point in the future, she's going to see one of her friends murdered or killed. Uh, by somebody else, basically. I know, which is just, which is just so tragic. a weird reality, yeah. isn't it, I yeah. suppose? Um, and something that just shouldn't be anyone's normality. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's, you know, she, she runs away. She, um, is caught though, or she is tra- traced and tracked down by Captain Lancaster mm-hmm. in this alleyway who initially are questioning her about her mum. Um, and then are curious to see what she knows about magic. And all of a sudden, uh, he, he's, he begins to encant and we see maggots coming from the earth, mm. um, flies and he, he spits on her, uh, well, spits on his hand and wipes it on her forehead and curses her. Ooh. Um, and ultimately, In these COVID times that takes on well, exactly. It really does. Yeah. But what we see then is that. And after that, from that point onwards, she's cursed. I think immediately afterwards, she, she's trying to find, uh, Atticus because th- there's a few things going on and we, we hear it from Montrose because her dad has died. Her mom is missing and mm-hmm. um, her best friend now has been murdered. And all of this, um, is pressing and weighing heavily upon her. Uh, and she's in part wanting to find out where her mother is, yep. and in part now after the meeting with Captain Lancaster in, in the alleyway, uh, wanting to somehow understand what is going on. Yeah. Um, but all the while, we see um, that that Dee is being effectively stalked by these two girls mm-hmm. um, that are... You know, they've got one sock up, one sock down. They've got crazily long nails. Yeah. They've got the ribbons in the hair. Uh, and it all comes from uh, a book uh, titled Uncle Tom's Cabin mm. uh, back in her bathroom at, at her home yeah. uh, when Montrose is trying to sort of uh, reason with her to unlock the door and come out uh, after he's found her. Yeah. But she escapes back through the window. And again, this effectively this this fear coming from uncle tom's cabin is what begins to stalk her the two girls that are on the front of this particular cover yes the the uncle tom's cabin a very famous book uh, from the 1800s in the u.s um has a lot of racial stereotypes in the book itself my read on this after doing a little bit of research uh, after after watching the episode is that effectively it's a reasonably free girl uh, that is D. She's reasonably free to do what she wants to. She's a real thinker. She's a real, uh, just like her mother, she's very strong, very intelligent kid. Yeah. And it feels like they have created these monsters, effectively, which are things from a past that she never wants to live. Almost, she's being chased down by the stereotypes, effectively, of the world, almost. That's kind of the way it feels to me, and that's kind of what they've done in the episode. It is also terrifying. It feels like, um, feels like the ring. Remember that movie where, uh, you know, you get a call and then you get stalked by the monster and you can't do anything at all to stop, you know? I was wondering about you, John, because I know you're a big horror fan, but this particular horror things that, uh, that you don't like very much, that you don't, that, that you find really terrifying. Kids being one of those things in movies. Horror kids, scary kids. You know? Yeah. Horror kids, creepy kids, mm. um, pumpkin men, uh, generally sure. I think are pretty, pretty <laughs> Pretty creepy, and I have to say, the, these sequences of D effectively being cursed, and that curse being the thing that she um, maybe most rails against, yeah. uh, or um, is afraid of, or, or hates, and, and it's the idea, I suppose, from Uncle Tom's Cabin about being stereotyped yeah. with these stereotypical views and descriptions of of colored people mm-hmm. from um uncle tom's cabin and um, it, it was uh, an author by um harriet beecher stowe and it ultimately it was an anti-slavery novel but the descriptions within harriet's book are ones that are you know pretty negative yeah. um to be honest uh, yeah. b- but it also um the anti-slavery message 
um, made it very uh, a very big seller back in, in that time. Uh, and it is said to have helped lay the groundwork for the Civil War, being one of the books of which the other was the Bible um, used by abolitionists to show the um, the evil uh, and the barbarity of slavery. Uh, you know that principled uh, uh, and and moral case against slavery. Yeah. So that it's kind of really interesting that there's that dichotomy with this book. I suppose the, these yeah. kind of opposing kind of uh, influences as to how it shaped personally people of of color from the the pretty um, awful stereotypical descriptions of, mm-hmm. of colored people in it, but also at the time it was used as um, a, a book and, and a basis of um, of anti-slavery and, yeah. and abolition. Uh, so yes, yeah, that's really really interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I thought, and um, yeah. indeed, it, it supposedly said that Abraham Lincoln, when he met Harriet Beecher Stowe, who wrote the book, says, "You're the little lady who started this great war," and right. yeah. um, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it's this whole sequence of her trying to escape those the the two girls after her. I, I found really. Um, really affecting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think That's one of the well. yeah, it reminded me of of us as well, the Jordan Peele film, exactly, um, where the, the family are being stalked. There's just a certain movement about about the kids uh, in that movie, particularly how they move and how their arms move and how their legs move. You can definitely tell that the characters are dancers. At least that uh, in in this show, the actresses who play the girls definitely dancers. They have that movement about them. Uh, so it, it's like an eerie move that that could possibly be from a human exactly and and it's also that they to an extent break the fourth wall in this this uh, show as well so looking at directly at camera Mm -hmm. it's as though these movements are at to camera and in fact the very end where effectively d is making her last stand i kind of wrote my notes d's alamo and (laughs) one of them as it comes comes into the door from outside looks back out of the door straight at camera and smiles and pulls the tongue. So there's a lot of breaking the fourth wall here, which is also very creepy when you've got creepy kids Mm -hmm. doing strange movements and have fairly lethal looking nails, which I suspect could slice through flesh pretty, pretty easily. Well, Um, but for me, one of the really great, um, scenes with this was on the the rail line station on the chicago overhead uh rail line and d is there waiting for the train to come sees them coming up the stairs mm-hmm. uh in those weird movements and then gradually coming through the crowd and d trying to escape that and yeah. it, it's just the camera work as it moves through the crowd where the the two Creepy kids are getting closer and closer to D was just, um, really, really good. It was. And, yeah. uh, I love that. The other one as well is then in the alleyway where she's, uh, spying on Captain Lancaster to trail him back to, um, his office and yeah. his home. And you just see the two girls in the, the darkness coming and dancing their way up the alleyway. And I just simply couldn't watch it because I was thinking, <laughs> what? Are they going to do, uh, you know, the yeah. D is going to look around and they're going to be there right in the face. And yeah, I just did not watch that at yeah. all. I had to kind of just scribble notes very quickly <laughs> and pretend um, that I wasn't really watching this really freaky uh, little scene. It's so, I mean, hats off there for sure. <laughs> it's a good excuse to not watch something is writing your notes. Yeah, yeah. must um, write notes. But I do think that's one of the cool things in the episode, as I mentioned, just the strength of D because she knows they're there all the time. She knows that they're behind her. Uh, and especially in the alley, we just don't see her look around because she's like, well, there's nothing I can do about it. As long as I keep clear of them, I'm fine, basically, is the is the kind of attitude. But yeah, just they reach out and their nails get within two inches of D's back there. Um, so yeah, that, that feels like a really uh, what's going to happen next moment. Um, so that's kind of the major points of, of yeah, and I think just mainly to say that ultimately the, the two creepy girls catch up with D as she's kind of, 
uh, barricaded herself in, I, I think it's um, George and Hippolyta's office. Yeah, um, garage, maybe. Or, and garage. Yeah. And um, she is hitting and hitting them as they come in. But Montrose is also out looking for D after she had uh, slipped past him mm-hmm. from the bathroom and just sees her flailing in midair with this huge pipe. It's all in her imagination. Yeah. But as he kind of tries to... W- calm her down effectively and hold her then the girls are scratching at her her arms and yes. you see the blood coming so that is all, the nightmare in elm street moment as i like it, to call it. yeah it really is and it, it's very much they do catch up with her and if it's a question of do they kill her or not mm-hmm. i got the impression from captain lancaster that uh, from his office after she has basically told him to go run and jump yeah. uh with his deal that he's like i don't care about the girl she will be dead soon enough. So I suspect um, this could be a real dangerous situation uh, for D uh, unless there is something that Montrose can do or maybe we're going to see Hippolyta return to the fray um, unexpectedly. So let's just see. But I really hope it's not the end of Diana Freeman for sure. Absolutely. Where would we be without those great uh comics absolutely yeah yeah absolutely what a what an awful tragedy for their family over the course of this series we lost george in the first couple of episodes uh hippolyta's disappeared um and now d is effectively being murdered all because of tick basically is uh, is what we're learning uh, in this episode as well so it kind of takes me on to the other thing i want to talk about uh, to begin with um I think I've just called this protection spells galore um, for for my point for the episode, because it is really interesting that we have so much of this protection spell work that, we, that we've been talking about for the last few episodes. Um, that was the whole reason why they were trying to get the Book of Adam was to put some protection spells on the house, protect all everybody, protect all their families, make sure they were kept safe from all the magic that's going on. Whereas in this episode here, we have um, Tick trying to get magic to protect himself we have Letty trying to get magic to protect Tick, but it's been refused by Christina. Christina and Letty go and meet up in the church. Letty tries to get her to protect Tick, but she refuses, interestingly. Um, I guess partly because she's already given the magic spell to Tick to do the protection on himself. So is that the reason why she can't protect him or is she just won't protect him because she's going to, what we learn again in the episode is she's going to kill him to gain immortality in the future. So yeah. she can't put a protection spell on him because... Um, yeah, we, we, we get, um, you know, a bit more background from, from Atticus as he's speaking to Montrose mm-hmm. about uh, what happened in uh, through that, that rift in time and space. Uh, you know, so the great thing, as you were saying, we, we find out that uh, the George Freeman on the cover of the Lovecraft Country book mm-hmm. it is actually his son, um, and he that's why he knows that um, Letty is pregnant, even though she hasn't t- said that and told him yet. Yeah. But also he then knows that Christina is planning on sacrificing him mm-hmm. uh, at the autumnal equinox so that she can, as you say, achieve immortality. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so it, it, really interesting. So, I wonder if that's the reason why she wouldn't provide actual protection to Tick. It would what, seem like a genuine one if she wants to bump him off. Exactly. Yeah. So, what she has provided though is protection for Letty, which is why when Captain Lannister comes to the house to try and uh, to try and take out Letty, uh, she has the bullets bouncing off her, uh, which yeah. is very cool. That was a very cool scene. Yeah. Also, love the return of the uh, of the house protection that was put on on the house uh, back in episode four, uh, because Captain Lan- Lancaster can't get into the house because he's uh, he's a magic user. So, uh, loved that kind of bounce back. It really felt again like vampires uh, once yeah, again. Definitely uh, very cool. But yeah, that moment when you have uh, Letty almost realizing how good her protection is. Is so strange, so such a strong moment. You hear Ruby lying on the floor, shouting at her, going, get down. And she just stands up, has the bullets bounced off her like Luke Cage. Um, you know, we have that, have that kind of moment where she's just walking out into the hail of bullets, looking like she's actually going to do some big kind of move now that she is bulletproof. That yeah. She's about to do something, but tick her eyes back just at that moment. And the entire police force turn on him, uh, turn all their guns on him and start pulling triggers basically. 
I did not expect that that, that the protection that Christina had given him is the ability to call a Shoggoth from below the ground to, to attack every person in the way. So that was a shocker. I was expecting, you know, a dive from Letty in front of him where she would block. Yeah, the, exactly. <laughs> the bullets. I, I had yeah. that as well. I, I, but I mean, we see earlier that Montrose and Tick do, uh, the spell. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and I, I love the fact in, in this, this moment where the spell's being done by, by Montrose, he finishes it with Amen and goes, <laughs> well, it, it couldn't hurt, could it? Um, <laughs> which is really nice. Very funny, but I must say, I don't know whether I'd trust anybody to read a spell to me directly after I've just learned that they are dyslexic and sometimes mix up words in an, <laughs> when they're reading. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't know how terrified Tick was, but I was kind of going, is he going to turn him into a rabbit or something? Well, you know? that's it. And it's there's a nice little uh, moment as well, just after he's said to Tick that he's dyslexic and, and mm-hmm. Tick goes... Are there any more secrets that you're keeping from me? You know, and of course, yeah. we all know that potentially he's George's son. So, mm-hmm. um, it's, so it's like, well, you're not my son, maybe. Is yeah, that could be the something that he brings out. You also get that great moment as well that you often do in, in horror, uh, where you do an incantation, do a spell expecting that the wind is going to start whipping up the 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 skies go black and and you know maybe his eyes glow uh and flash uh just as he gains this power Mm -hmm. and it's it's just montrose and tick there going do you feel any different um well i don't uh do we even know if it works and then the moment we know it works it is as the shoggoth uh surprise uh comes up out of the ground to stop the bullet. It's not Letty da- doing the hero dive in front of him. Mm-hmm. It's um, a Shoggoth who then really goes to town on uh, Captain Lancaster's uh, men and Captain Lancaster. Absolutely. Well, yes, I was trying to work out whether whether we saw him uh, definitely be eaten, but I think we did. Yeah, we do. We see a Shoggoth on, on him and he's shooting at him, but of yes. course the Shoggoth isn't being affected by it uh, and... The Shoggoth rips off the arm with the gun, That's and you it. just see the that hand lying there. So, yeah, yeah he's definitely dead. Uh, you get some great, it's a great sequence of events, just with police officers being sort of impaled on the tail of the Shoggoth, mm-hmm. their heads being sort of gnawed off yeah. and shook off by the the Shoggoth. So, uh, yeah, this was a this was a really um, Great, great moment in the episode. Absolutely, absolutely. So the Tick has a pet Shoggoth to send after his enemies if anybody's attacking him. That's kind of cool, isn't it? That is true. Uh, Not that (laughs) it really felt as though Tick had ultimate control on that Shoggoth coming out. It seemed like the Shoggoth responded to the fact that Tick was in danger more than anything. But then right at the end... When the Shoggoth is in front of Tick, Letty's behind him. He's got his hand up mm-hmm. uh, to to stop the Shoggoth probably from maybe getting Letty. Um, yeah. And his hand kind of just rests on it, uh, which felt like, you know, just petting his his pet dog or yeah. something. Yeah, it felt like, what, what's the Harry Potter one where they did, uh, they did something yeah. like that? Where you can just calm down an animal or creature that, uh, that stands in front of you like that. But, of course, we do know that... Christina has her whistle. Christina has the ability to control Shoggoths because we saw that right back in episode one. So uh, a good protection that she can provide to Tick, but also can break that protection herself really easily whenever she needs to. So uh, so I think that's the reason why uh, that specific type of protection is what's been supplied to Tick here. So Yeah, yeah um, for sure. Yeah. Um, one of the things just to mention in this, in this part of the episode, uh, there were some great conversations between Montrose and Tick uh, throughout this episode as they start to maybe not rebuild their relationship even, but just as Tick starts to learn more about his father and learn more about his father's past, he asks some questions that are important for him to know the answer to. He wants to know whether um, Montrose being gay, did he ever cheat on his mother? Um, Montrose interestingly says, well, he never did. He never acted on it, but he ha- always had the impulses. But what was interesting, what I really liked about the conversation was he made the decision to live his life in a straight world with a family because he was terrified of what would happen to him if he didn't do that. Yeah. He says, I would either end up in jail, I would end up swinging from a tree, or I would end up um, yeah. dead in a, in a toilet somewhere. So I chose to live my life as he- a straight person in this hidden behind a family, effectively, because the world out there is 
absolutely terrifying for a gay person in the 50s, 40s and 50s. Effect. And especially a gay colored person yeah. as well. And well, yeah, because he, he says, I chose uh, life instead of an asylum or even jail. Yeah. Uh, he, he, he gives this story of a preacher who was caught with another man yeah. and uh, who was taken off had some form of lobotomy, he says he's missing half his brain, yeah. uh, and he said he realised he didn't want that, and so, as you say, uh, decided to uh, choose a life, he says. That's, yeah. ch- I chose a life rather than asylum or jail or something else. Exactly. Um, that was really interesting, and I think it was nice having Tick and his father uh, reconnect again uh, in yeah. some way. I- I'm glad they didn't just leave it uh, after the last episode where he calls him a fag, um, yeah, absolutely. that there was some kind of um, reconnection between the two. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But again, you know, I'm not sure whether Tick's ever going to be able to accept who Montrose is and forgive all the horrible things Montrose has done. We've mentioned this before. Montrose isn't a lovely character or anything like that. It's just his sexuality happens to be that he's gay. You know, that that's it. Um, it doesn't make him a great person just because of that. And they're not certainly not letting that go. But I do like that they have those conversations so Tick can actually find out more about the man that he thought he knew so well, I suppose. So, uh, so I think that's, I think that's really good. Um, I, I, it's also another reference in the show again to how things change us in our lives, the experiences that we go through, how they change us. Because Montrose says that story that he talks about with, about the priest was something that happened to him when he was eight years old and that formed his decisions for the rest of his life effectively. Yeah. So I think that's quite interesting. Another, another touch in there in Lovecraft Country of a character who's had an experience in their past, which changes them forever, like Hippolyta. Uh, not not being able to keep the name that she actually gave to the meteor. Somebody else got that name, so that changed her life forever as to who she became in the future. So seeing that with uh, Montrose was interesting as well. Yeah, definitely. We should mention Gia being in the episode here because uh, Gia had been in the past a, a character on the other end of the phone, effectively, until she got her own episode, which was set in the past of, of uh, Atticus's life. Um, we see her here. She is now in San Francisco, for 15 minutes, I guess. <laughs> and then she's kicked out of the house. But I wish there'd been a little bit more to her time in the episode because it feels like she got there and went, I'm here to tell you once again, Tick, that you're going to die. And he goes, well, I know that. You've already told me that. I'm not going to die. Do you have any further information at all? Any further details that you can help with? And she goes, no. And he's like, all right, get out then. Like, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, we learn that uh, that she actually describes what a Kimiho uh, is with mm-hmm. the the seven-tailed fox and that uh, at least in say western culture uh, that's the equivalent of a, a succubus. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I mean it, it it's kind of she arrived and there was a great moment where Tick asks why are you here and it's Letty that answers yeah. uh, on behalf of Jaya with because she loved you and then that you know effectively so kicks tick out but then is immediately asking for him not to go yeah. uh, I, I felt like that whole scene was a little bit rushed uh, as you say whether it was for jaya um, mm-hmm. and her the length of time that she was in uh, the episode uh, with that scene and just the very quick change around from letty effectively kicking tick out of the house yeah. and asking him to go and then as soon as she realizes what he's going to do, which is he wants to cast a spell effectively to protect the future. Exactly. Uh, so that he doesn't die and it, he has, uh, time with his son, mm-hmm. George. Um, that then she wants, she doesn't want him to leave and she wants to be part of that to help him. Yeah. Um, and I, I took the switch as it. So it was very quick. Yeah. But I, I took the switch as it being get out of my house. I'm sick of you bringing your ex girlfriend here kind of thing. And then finding out that he's going to go and do that spell makes it sound like he could die. So I think that that felt like the switch was like, get out of my house, but I don't yeah. want you to die. So stay yeah. here and let me help you. Because mainly she yeah. doesn't mean for him to be gone from her house Absolutely. it's it's a heat of the moment thing but it did kind of feel um a, a little speedy right. should we say i think yeah, yeah yeah i think one of the other interesting moments within this episode was ruby as well we oh, see her yes. changing back to hillary and having um sex with uh with william uh-huh. uh, and uh, we have a really interesting conversation uh here between ruby and then Christina wants to change back. I mean, first off, the, the scene of them having sex were as they're climaxing, Ruby is, uh, 
or Hillary is going and Ruby is returning, uh-huh. it was kind of like, okay, you know, there's angry sex, there's makeup sex, and now we have bloody transformation sex. Uh-huh. Um, but we have this really interesting conversation uh, from Ruby saying to Christina, you know, do you feel anything with respect to what was done to uh, Emmett Till, uh-huh. uh, Bobo? You know, she goes, I'm, I'm heartbroken, I'm scared, I'm angry, I'm mourning a, a sweet little boy that was taken from us. And she says she took that potion to escape from being black at this time. Mm-hmm. And Christina is, is no, she, she's, um, really has no empathy here for how Ruby is feeling yeah. and nor for, um, she doesn't feel anything about the justice that won't ever be, uh, received by Emmett's family with respect to the killers yeah. of, um, of Bobo. So I, I thought that was really, really interesting, mainly because you then actually see Christina uh, being killed in the same way that oh. Bobo was. Um, it's, it's a really graphic um, description and, and illustration of what happened to this young child and yeah. um, through the death of Christina. I think that's how it was meant to do rather than showing the, the actual and death of a child in such a brutal and graphic way. Absolutely. They do it through uh, Christina here, through Christina Braithwaite. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have to I'm say, so you know, effectively beaten, shot, um, with barbed wire tied around their neck to a cotton jig, oh. which is then um, dumped into the water where she drowns. And Christina comes back out because she has magic. Um, but she's screaming and it's just that actually maybe Ruby did, um, pardon the pun, get under the skin of, um, of of Christina here. Uh, you know, maybe Christina exploring that death to try and feel something. Um, so it was kind of interesting, but very, very graphic. Um, and of course, because, it was such a horrendous thing. I mean, yeah, shame for sure. Absolutely. It also shows you can get absolutely anything that you want if you have the amount of money that Christina has because she hired these two guys to kill her that way as well. So, yeah. Uh, and they do it and they go ahead with it and then, you know, effectively kick her into the river and go, why? Well, I don't know why anybody would want to die like that, basically. But they did it for the money, basically. So, yeah, exactly. Wow. But yeah, I'm so glad that on this TV show they've made the decision to do it this way, to show you the brutality of what happened to Emma Till through Christina experiencing it, because they've shown a lot in this show. They've done, they've done a lot in this show. Um, and I don't think I could have watched if they'd actually shown what happened to Emma Till happened to the actor playing him in the show. So, uh, so I'm so glad they decided to do it that way, showing you the brutality of it, but not visited on a kid of the same age as of, of Emma Till. So yeah, that's, that was a good choice. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a- absolutely. And uh, I think then the only other thing between uh, about Ruby and Christina is Ruby actually tells Letty about Christina. So that is now very much out there uh, in the open. Do you know, I love when this happens on TV shows, especially when you've only got 10 episode shows like this, when finally you get an episode like this where everybody's now in on all the secrets, right? Everybody knows Letty's told uh, told Ruby that she's even pregnant and everything, you know? So uh, so they know everything about each other now. Montrose and Tick seem to be now have all the information that they need, all the information that they needed to know. So uh, so everybody now has all of the information. It's not just the audience, us watching them, uh, knowing bits about each of their stories. So uh, even down to Jaya being there and telling all the story of who she was and what she did to, to Montrose, you know, that's all out in the open now. So I do like that in, uh, in shows when they do that. So yeah, you're uh, good to call the night. I thought it was a great conversation actually between uh, between Ruby and Letty. Felt really sisterly of the two of them. Yeah, uh, having that conversation. Just one thing we didn't mention in the uh, in the conversation between Christina and Ruby. Just that accusation from Christina that Ruby's lying to herself. That Ruby's telling herself the reason why she chose to, to take this potion was to escape the shame she felt for what was going on. And Christina saying she's lying to herself. That's not the reason she took it. She had. She has a power now. She uses magic to get what she wants now. And that's why she took the potion, potion because she's powerful, effectively. Yeah. Which I thought was a really interesting conversation. I don't know whether she's entirely right or whether she was striking back at Ruby, like you say, because 
she hit a chord with Christina, maybe, got under her skin, and maybe she's striking back at Ruby by the way that she wants to strike back at her. But I did think it was an interesting kind of uh, discussion or observation, and even maybe Ruby does possibly believe that Christina may be right uh, in some in some senses. Yeah, but, possibly. Uh, but I thought it was a very interesting one. Very interesting. Anything else that we haven't talked about on the episode? I think that's most of the things I wanted to talk about. Yeah, that's pretty much uh, everything uh, I wanted to talk about as mm. well. I think we, we've kind of covered the Uncle Tom's Cabin book, mm-hmm. the, that that signifier uh, with respect to... Um, the, the the two girls chasing after um after D. Yeah. I suppose the only other call out again and uh, uh, I the the one place where I did jump quite heavily uh, and let out a a girly scream <laughs> is was when D finds um Woody actually parked up uh, outside Letty's house mm-hmm. and one of the girls uh pops right up there um on the other side of the car through the window uh so yeah that was where it my was, my yeah. heart stopped uh for a little moment uh for sure my <laughs> well, little weak heart your lungs didn't though your lungs just started up right there yes <laughs> um and had to had to take five yeah uh, yeah I just need to pause for a second and walk away, uh, says John. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, really interesting episode. What do you think of it overall, John? Do you have a rating for this? Uh, yeah, I loved this. I, I was really glad that it started to pull some of these threads together through mm-hmm. uh, from from the previous episodes. I, I give this uh, four and a half protection spells out of five. Oh, nice. Yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed uh, it, it sort of weaving these different storylines uh, together. The only one maybe missing here was Hippolyta. Yes, uh, to some extent, she was um, definitely present. Definitely present. Uh, exactly, a couple of times. It was interesting. She was gone for a week as well, so she's been gone for a whole week since uh, since the incident happened. Um, I think they kind of referenced the fact that uh, when Tick went, he met um, he met the same woman that uh, Hippolyta met. She gave him the book and pushed him back through the uh, the rift effectively. So he was only in there for, you know, however long, 20 or 30 minutes effectively. He didn't go on this massive journey like Hippolyte has gone on. So potentially that massive journey is taking a week and she's still in uh, in those moments yeah. now potentially. Yeah. Don't know how time works. Will will she return to the exact moment again? Uh, probably not because it's been a week and she's been gone, but uh, but we don't know how long she's going to be away for effectively because she's having this uh, this adventure over on the, on the other side of the rift. So uh, that's interesting. Yeah, it was, um, and I I just thought this was um, you know really a, a great episode, great scares, mm-hmm. nice return of the Shoggoth uh, in that heroic <laughs> Shoggoth moment to protect. Atticus, uh, I, I loved the, the creepy girls, um, uh, forming in, in Dee's mind from the Uncle, uh, Tom's cabin. Uh, it, mm-hmm. I think all, as I say, the weaving together of these storylines now was just really nicely, uh, done here. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was a very challenging episode as well, certainly around with poor Emmett Till, mm-hmm. um, and, and just the shock of that death and it being uh represented uh through christina doing the the same graphic uh uh methods on herself uh yeah. to try and get that empathy i suppose to feel something uh, on the death of of bobo um uh, as as challenged by ruby yeah um so yeah this was this had a lot in it and it was really well and expertly done. So yeah, four and a half protection spells out of five from me. Absolutely. Excellent. Yeah, totally agree with you. And a really, really good episode. Oh, yeah, we didn't mention uh, the other fourth wall breaking moment. Uh, I mentioned earlier on there were a couple of references to the book, the original book and what's been changed. Uh, we also had a moment where Tick references how the book ends, which is how he dies, right? <laughs> he references how he dies. Have they, like the Count of Monte Cristo thing, have they told us this is how the book ends. The show is going to end differently. I haven't read the end of the book, as I've mentioned before. So I'm wondering if they've kind of gone, I know you think you know what's going to happen at the end of the story uh, through the character of Tick to the audience, but we're going to do things differently this time. You know, I'm wondering if that's why they left that into the into the episode or why they had that conversation between Montrose and, uh, and Tick. I thought it was a, a really interesting one. Uh, so I've read the book. At the end of it, it says this this happens but that's not going to happen kind of thing because it can't it can't go that way he can't have told you the end of a show that still has two more episodes left to go so <laughs> so i just thought that was interesting just to pull out as well 
Excellent stuff. That's our discussion for Lovecraft Country episode eight. Let's get on to some of your wonderful feedback. Yes, we have some feedback through on email. If you want to send us feedback that way, you can just contact us at feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. So first off, Sarah Muthawa emailed us to say, Hi guys, love the podcast covering Lovecraft Country. I've read the book and the show is amazing. You guys are doing a great job with your episodes. If you haven't found it yet, the speech towards the end of episode 7 is from Sun Ra. If you Google his name plus some text from the speech, you can learn all about him. Best wishes, Sarah from Virginia in the USA. Thanks so much, Sarah. Um, And again, thanks for sending in the reference. It was really good to kind of put that in 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 context Mm -hmm. with the the sun ra film there from the 70s so uh yeah it was really good because it was such an interesting speech i found from the last episode so uh yeah it was really good and thanks so much uh for the feedback uh, on the podcast we're glad you're enjoying it as well as lovecraft country and the book yeah yeah yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much, Sarah. Um, we also got uh, a message in on Facebook from uh, from Matt uh, over on the uh, Double P podcast, uh, giving us that information as well about, uh, about Sun Ra. Uh, over on Facebook, uh, Donald Dennis says, Episode 7 was another very different episode, a, bu- a bunch more weird tales and wish fulfillment than Lovecraftian horror normally engages in, but it was a well-done episode. That's really interesting, isn't it? Because one of the, I suppose, the almost misconceptions of the show because it's called Lovecraft Country. Even from the beginning, I remember the comments from people going, you know, who Lovecraft was. He was a horrible person. Don't base a show on him. But it's based on a book, based on the type of horror that's out there. The book definitely has a bunch of different styles of horror within it, uh, much like the TV show. So it's not just specifically Lovecraftian type of horror that's in the book. There's loads of other types of horror in there, but, uh, but the concept is Lovecraft Country, a scary place, effectively. So, um, so we still, like, you know, we still haven't seen Cthulhu, uh, have a presence on the show itself. So. Yeah, not uh, a tentacle yeah. in sight. Just, except the first episode we saw in, uh, Tick's Dream. We yes. Saw, uh, we saw the, the Cthulhu monster there, but, uh, wondering if the massive Cthulhu will appear at the end of the season. And that's how the show ends. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> that's um, what Christina calls instead of, uh, instead of immortality for herself. That could, Cthulhu be, yeah, or something. it could be that for sure <laughs> also over on facebook uh, angie r house says i love this show it challenges us by giving us so much to think and talk about mm-hmm. stuns us with its beautiful visuals and acting creating new worlds and stories and teaches us this was a five star episode of tv i honestly thought of hippolyta as a minor player in the show mm-hmm. who had kind of faded into the background after that first episode However, it seems there is so much more to her that has been hidden or made small, as she says. She has many facets and talents and has figured out the orrery. She may be the key to it all. Mm -hmm. I had to add that I had the same first thought about Letty as Derek when she was repelled by the garlic in the food. Is she a vampire? I'm still kind of (laughs) hoping this is true, but they are probably going with the pregnancy storyline. Yeah, I know. It's It's a bit tropey, I suppose, but I do love the vampire idea. (laughs) But it, it plays on exactly that with the audience yeah. so in that in that sense it's great tropiness absolutely um, i do love the shout out in the uh in the discussion between herself and christina at the at the church where she says i wasn't i didn't used to be a praying kind of person or a religious kind of person but then you know i died and came back to life so i kind of see uh, i kind of see that side of it now you know which is yeah, really interesting exactly finally and she says i wanted to shout out the hairstyling in this episode mm-hmm. and all of them really which added so much to the story uh, especially that magnificent futuristic afro. Stunning. Uh, yeah, absolutely yeah. stunning, Angie. Uh, I can't agree more. I, I think uh, the I am uh, robot lady uh, with the, as you say, the futuristic afro was just amazing. And, you know, I totally agree with you about this show. It is challenging. It's educational as well as being fantastic storytelling and yeah. um, the visuals um and the the acting the the production all of that the direction the writing it's so so good i mean i think you know i have learned an awful lot from this tv show Mm -hmm. um and that in itself is really really important and yet it is also great entertainment Mm -hmm. it's really 
nicely woven together all these different motives of, of the the show really uh so absolutely uh loved uh last week's episode with with hippolyta uh, for sure yeah me too thanks so much for that andrew yeah one other thing that i learned this week since you're talking about learning john on the official podcast for lovecraft country i learned that the uh the futuristic robot lady has an actual name uh, i never i never saw it mentioned on screen i don't know whether i checked the credits or whether the credits just didn't have her named but the character's called beyond say Ah, okay. So, not I am. I've been calling I it I am. Yeah. 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 Okay. So that's the word that she says is I am when she arrives. So you think that's her name, but uh, but beyond say is, her, is the name of the character. Okay. I think it's also quite cool. Yeah. That, there. <laughs> great stuff. Excellent. Thanks so much for that, Angie. Yeah. Thanks, Angie. Uh, we'll be over on Twitter. Just pointed out uh, another piece that we missed last week in, in episode seven. Uh, the, the character of Bessie Spr- Stringfield. Uh, appears in episode seven. Uh, we were wondering what it was when um, Hippolyta is on her drive, having that wonderful freedom moment, effectively, and we see a uh, a, a biker uh, pull up beside her, smile at her, wave, and and drive on. That's a that's actually a real life uh, lady called Bessie Stringfield. Um, did did get into the motorbikers hall of fame effectively because of uh, the things that she did back in the fifties and forties. She travelled all across America on her own uh, on a motorbike in those times, effectively, as totally free as she possibly could be. That's kind of the representation of exactly where Hippolyta would want to get to, a person like Bessie Springfield. So really cool spot there. Thanks very much, Will. Yeah, thank you so much, Will. Uh, Another great little bit of uh, information Mm -hmm. that, yeah, we wouldn't have picked up on. I wouldn't have known that significance other than in that scene, seeing Hippolyta smile and see the, the satisfaction of this other woman traveling on her own Mm -hmm. uh, free in that sense. So, uh, yeah, really good spot. Thanks so much, Will. Uh, Also, just to remind everyone, uh, if you want, you can send us comments through on Twitter. Our handle is at TV Pod Industries. Mm -hmm. And, of course, over on Facebook, uh, you can come and join us over on the Facebook group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash TV podcast industries. Excellent. Excellent. As we mentioned before, you can also email us to feedback at TV podcast industries. You can email us your thoughts in text form, or you can record an MP3 of your thoughts, any kind of recording, and email it to us at feedback at TV podcast industries.com, just like our wonderful friend Steve Brown. Hey, I don't even know where to start. Hey, guys, it's Steve. Uh, I'm definitely going to have to watch that one again, but a couple of quick thoughts. Um, what a trippy episode. Um, so many, so many things in there that I still don't understand. I'm sure, um, hopefully when I listen to you guys' podcast, maybe I'll listen to the podcast first and then rewatch it again to maybe figure out what's going on totally. But, uh, one quick thing, and I'm sure you guys may or may not talk about it or, uh, at the end, Tick, it looked like he grabbed a copy of the book that the show is based on off the table. Uh, I'm going to have to watch it again to catch that for sure. But I, it really looked like that's what, what he had. There was a copy of the book that this show is based on and he grabbed it and when he ran out of the room and this is the first time I watched the sneak peek for episode eight and it looks like the cops are going to come uh, for D uh, because of the comic book found under the other one. Um, I wonder if we're going to get to see what Atticus saw on the other side of the portal. Um, see what he experienced. Uh, I wonder if we're going to get to find out what the, the cop experience that got through thrown through the portal. Maybe not. Maybe it's something, uh, but wow. I'm still, yeah, that one's going to have to be watched again. Okay. <laughs> Talk to you later. Excellent, Steve. Yeah, that was definitely a, a double watch episode. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I hope we helped. We may not have uh, predicted exactly the outcome of everything that happened in the episode, but I think we got a good understanding of the episode after we watched it the second time. Uh, we were definitely wrong about the book, uh, what the significance was, and we didn't have to wait long for the explanation of what happened to Tick. Uh, when he disappeared into the portal. At least we got it all explained in this episode, effectively. So uh, it was only 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Way, kind of thing. And I, I think he came through the rift with the book as yes. well. It's just when he was trying to 
sort of turn the machine off or or whatever he was trying to do um he had the book on the side of the uh control panel That's so right. then he picked it up again from from uh the panel as he as he ran to escape the the sirens that were you could hear in the background exactly exactly yeah excellent thanks so much as always for your feedback steve yeah thanks so much steve our final bit of feedback comes through from Parthenia Locklear. She goes, Hi guys, I am a listener from Durham, North Carolina. I've become a recent fan. I watch Lovecraft and I listen to the HBO Lovecraft Country podcast. I then discuss the show with my friends and add the podcast input as well because my friends don't listen to it. Then we jump from that to the boys. So because I want to be more all-knowing in our jokes and conversations, I decided that I needed to find a podcast on the boys, which led me to listening to your podcast. I love it. You guys definitely point out things that I miss. Thanks so much. Uh, so as I was listening to your podcast on the boys, uh, it then starts playing the review on Lovecraft Country. I was pleasantly surprised. I absolutely love your take on the show. Excellent. The HBO version is great as well, but different. I am a black American woman and absolutely love all things sci-fi. I was raised in New York City, but my adult life has been in the South. I can relate to many of the things that are discussed about Lovecraft Country. The perspective from your angle is amazing and also enlightening. Thank you for not being afraid to respectfully dig in on tough subjects. Anyways, all of this to say thanks. New fan and listener over here. Keep up the good work. I'm so excited to rewatch some shows just so that I can hear your podcast, such as Good Omens and The Witcher. <laughs> thanks, Parthenia. Thanks so much, Parthenia, and... Welcome on board to yeah. uh, the podcast that we do. It's great that uh, you found us, and mm -hmm. it's really, really cool to get your thoughts uh, on on what we're doing. I think, um, yeah, and we're glad we can provide some insight into the shows as well for you. Uh, yeah. We really hope that's the case, and uh, as well that we just, as you say, dig into not only the show but some of the subject matter that is brought up with it. And mm -hmm. I think. Um, I think for myself and Derek anyway, we we really have that kind of uh, look on all the shows that we do. Some of them, it might just be around the comics yep. and others that are absolutely touching on some of the issues or things that are going on in society mm -hmm. uh, more generally. Uh, you know, we'll certainly sort of speak about them yeah, anyway absolutely we try our best to cover them and uh, yeah hopefully respectfully dig in when there's a tough subject there, there. but uh, thanks so much really great to hear from you Bethania. and a north carolinian residence john yeah That's absolutely awesome. uh yeah my, i lived in north carolina for a couple of years uh, up in calabash and myrtle beach kind of area so so i know carolina really well actually so uh delighted delighted to hear from another carolinian residence excellent thanks so much Bethania. i'm glad you're listening to both shows as well because you know we were we've been asking for weeks uh, what's the crossover between Lovecraft Country and and the boys? And we're kind of thinking, is it only us that are watching both shows every week? But clearly <laughs> not. So that's excellent to hear. And thanks, everybody else, for your feedback. Thanks once again for joining us for this episode. Really good to speak with you about Lovecraft Country. Oh, so excited for the next episode of the show. Yes, we'll be back next week for the next episode of Lovecraft Country, Season 1, Episode 9, Rewind 1921. Ooh, yes, we're which going to I think we may be going to Tulsa indeed yeah so interesting stuff mm. uh, for sure uh, can't wait to to see that to be honest yeah because we had uh, the discussion before that George uh, Montrose and Montrose's wife uh, Tick's mom we're all in Tulsa together uh, back in 1921. So that will be very interesting to see that on screen. Yes. And we haven't said it on the podcast, but it is just to say that if Jaya's timeline and the death of, uh, of Tick happens on the autumnal equinox, mm -hmm. uh, it was mentioned in this episode, there's five days remaining. So yes, this rewind to 1921. Uh, really intriguing to see where and how it takes us uh, to Tulsa. I would assume, as you yeah. as, as you do, and um, so has Hippolyta gone back there? 
Yeah, so mm-hmm. cannot wait uh, mm-hmm. for the next episode. Excellent. The penultimate episode of the series. Yeah. Right? yeah. We're also finishing our boys coverage this week. Episode 8 of The Boys airs uh, on Friday this week. Uh, if you've been following us for that, thank you very much. If you haven't, you can go and check out all of our thoughts for The Boys over on tvpodcastindustries.com or just look up TV Podcast Industries on any good or evil podcast catcher and you'll get all the episodes of the stuff that we are recording about. So thank you so much for joining us once again. Talk to you again soon. Yeah, thank you so much, fellow Dreadfuls, for joining us. It's great discussing these episodes Mm -hmm. of Lovecraft Country uh, with you. Uh, But remember, keep watching, keep listening. And with those scary girls coming, keep looking over your shoulder. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Bye. Bye.